everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pattern Recognition, a show that connects the dots that lead to good business decision making. I'm your host, John Hu, investor at Norwest Venture Partners and former investment banker at Goldman Sachs. As many of you know, I am a pretty big sneakerhead, whether those be Nikes or Yeezys or Jordans. I mean, you name it, I'm a fan. So I am pumped about today's episode with Josh Luber, the CEO and co-founder of StockX. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, StockX is the leading luxury goods e-commerce marketplace through which Josh and his team have been at the very forefront of the rise of streetwear fashion and sneaker culture. Now, Josh himself co-founded StockX with Dan Gilbert just three years ago. And since then, he and his team have recently crossed the billion dollar revenue run rate mark. And as a true testament to the business, Josh has raised from angels including Mark Benioff and Carly Kloss, as well as top VCs like Google Ventures and Battery Ventures. So in today's episode, Josh and I will discuss the nuances of StockX's real-time marketplace model, as well as how the company leverages data to derive insights into how we as consumers buy goods. Additionally, we'll also get to hear about Josh's emphasis on hiring while steering a rocket ship. So why don't we get started? Hey, Josh, how's it going? Pretty amazing. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for taking some time today. I actually just got a new pair of Nike React Elements off StockX the other day. So this is a very uh, timely conversation and excited to learn a little bit more about the founding story. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for the support. Yeah, of course. So before we even started about the StockX founding story, I mean, just to set context for anyone who isn't as much of a sneaker fanatic as I am, could you talk a little bit about sneaker culture and, and how StockX serves and fills a market need there? Yeah, that's a great sort of way to frame it that we don't always get to do. You know, today, I think that most of the population is starting to become aware of the secondary market for sneakers, or at least the fact that there are some sneakers that exist that sell for thousands of dollars. Whereas, you know, over the past five years, there's been a whole lot of of stories that are like, oh my God, shoes sell for $10,000. But this is really a 34-year-old story, and I'm not going to give you 34 years of the history, but there were three really big moments, right? 1985, first Air Jordans, and you had the start of this culture around supply and demand where brands were creating things that people really, really wanted. There weren't enough out there and it led to secondary market sales. 1999, 2000, you have eBay, the internet, and now all of a sudden what was a very local underground market becomes a global underground market where now at least we can buy things from people all over the world. It's still a very sort of niche, insular type of community and market, but at least now we can buy and sell online. 2011, 2012, Instagram, social media. And now you get the start of making this mainstream where you have, you know, all sneakerheads ever wanted to do was show off the shoes that they have and see what other people are wearing. And Instagram allowed everyone to do that at scale, right? This was right after Facebook bought Instagram. Instagram's going through its own hockey stick growth. The sneaker brands are using Twitter and Instagram to market shoes. And now you have all these new people, i.e. sort of mainstream world, coming in and understanding the secondary market. And we genuinely think that like StockX is that fourth tentpole moment where now it's about access. And now StockX has made access to those products infinitely easier for everybody where you didn't have to wade through eBay. You don't have to sleep out of a sneaker store And again, it's around these products that from 1985, it was just supply and demand, right? You have massive demand. People want these items. The brands intentionally create scarce products 
and it leads to this chaos, this chaos of, of how do you get the product and what it's worth, et cetera. And sneakers are not unique in that. There's a lot of other industries that use scarcity as a tool, and sneakers just happen to be the ones that we started with. Yeah, and I love the vision that you're turning into a reality here where StockX's model goes way beyond just sneakers and into a much broader set of potential product categories. But just to set some additional context for those who haven't purchased on StockX before, I mean, as you just laid out, StockX is in essence a secondary marketplace. But what makes the experience a lot more fun for at least me as a consumer is that you've turned the purchasing experience into a gamified stock exchange-like platform where I as a consumer get to see the real-time trading prices of my favorite sneakers. So you'll have a bid-ask spread on a shoe just like you would on a stock. And in the same way, you'll have the Adidas index or the Nike index price in the same way that I would track, let's say, the NASDAQ or the S&P 500. So it layers on this really fun and innovative aspect of being a customer and makes me curious if you could share with the audience here a few metrics to highlight just how large of a business you've built here based off of this platform. Yeah, so we had our three-year anniversary today or two days ago. I don't know. So we turned three and we have about 650 people that work at StockX today and we crossed a billion-dollar run rate as a business before the holiday. And the business has been growing fast. And we haven't updated public financial numbers yet, but the secondary market for sneakers, and we also sell streetwear and watches and handbags, all of the secondary market is hyper-cyclical, right? It looks like the retail market, but even more so. And so for us, the holiday season is always a tremendous growth time. So we were at a billion-dollar run rate before the holidays and have continued to grow. And what's really interesting for us, like sneakers and streetwear hit that hockey stick growth about 15 months ago now and have really exploded. And watch some bags are babies. You know, watch some bags both had a really good 18 in terms of percentage growth, but haven't hit that sort of mass scale. And so for sneakers and streetwear, I think based on what we know that we're the leader in those categories. And for watches and bags, you know, we're, we're still competing with a lot of other players to get to the top of that. But what's interesting, and to go back to the point that you were talking about, is this is all about the model, right? It is about this idea that we've created stock market mechanics, how the stock market connects buyers and sellers, and we've used that for consumer goods. Like that's the unique part about this. That's the business story. That's the reason that we've grown so fast and think there's so much ahead of us. And what's absolutely extraordinary about that is we didn't make this up, right? The stock market has been the most efficient form of commerce for almost 200 years. And all we did was point it from the first commodities, from stocks and bonds and oil and gas to sneakers and streetwear and watches and handbags. And, and that's the extraordinary part about that. And, you know, we can go as deep as you want into the model, but at the core, it's about the concept of true market value, right? It's the idea. And to what I was talking about earlier, it's about supply and demand and understanding what is the true market value of any consumer good, of any asset, of any commodity. And if you can understand that, then the concepts of retail price or resale price, like all that goes out the window, right? It's about what the true market value of, and, and that's a really fun place to be, which is building a business on the back of what has already been proven to be a, a pretty good idea, i.e. the stock market. Big congratulations there, because crossing a billion dollar revenue run rate in just three years is a truly phenomenal feat. One of the questions I have, though, about that founding three years ago is that you co-founded the business with Dan Gilbert who has been wildly successful both in the business world with Quicken Loans and also in the sports world with the Cavs. 
So what are some lessons that you've learned from Dan that have helped you run StockX? Yeah, that's a good one. You know, having Dan as a co-founder, and he is a true co-founder in, in every sense of the word, right? A lot of people just kind of assume he's the just the investor. But the short of a long story is that Dan and I had the exact same idea independently. And we didn't know each other. I'd never been to Detroit. But we both had this idea around creating a stock market for sneakers that could be for more than that. And, you know, Dan, the Cavs are the most notable. Quicken Loans is, is sort of the flagship, but there's actually about 100 companies that are within the Quicken Loans family of companies. And the Quicken Loans family of companies have sort of a core values belief system that, that's called the isms. And it's these sort of 19, you call it like sayings, but it's a real true exemplification of corporate culture. And first, like one of the best things that we have done, and I don't know whether it was direct advice or not, but, you know, it's seeing how Dan has run and, and built this organization over 30 some years. And it's about the culture and it's about the people and about being really, really true to that. And we've created our own version of the isms. It's a smaller list. We haven't been around as long. But like a business is all about people. A hundred percent. Every one of our bottlenecks is about people. Every one of our successes is about people. And that more than anything of seeing how Dan has created that culture around Quicken Loans, like that more than anything that we've really taken and embraced. Got it. That quote about everything is about people really resonates with me here. I, I think when I started my investing career, I used to think it was all about, oh, hitting sales metrics or making sure that costs were efficient. But at the end of the day, almost I would say 80% of our time in the boardroom that I found is all around people. It's not only how do you hire people, how do you retain people, how do you manage people's expectations. So I, I really understand that emphasis around culture there. But I'm curious, as you start this business with Dan three years ago or so, one of the questions I always love asking founders of marketplaces is how do you solve the chicken and egg problem, right? When you don't have any initial supply, when you don't have any initial demand, how do you create that flywheel? Yeah, it's maybe the hardest problem in the history of the internet. And for us, we were really fortunate for a couple of reasons there. First of all, the short backstory of Dan and I getting together is before StockX, I had created a business that was called Campless. C-A-M-P-L-E-S-S. Campless was a price guide. It was the Kelly Blue Book or Beckett for sneakers where we were, and by the way, I was doing this on the side while I was working a corporate job at IBM, but we were scraping eBay to understand sneaker value. eBay was still the largest marketplace for sneakers. This is back in 2012, 2013. And we were able to build this price guide. And over the next couple of years, we became the sort of default price guide within the sneaker industry. We had a blog that was kind of like Freakonomics for sneakers. And we were a content company that was around data. And so for us on day one, when I partnered with Dan and we took Campus and tried to turn it into StockX, we had the benefit of having a content business. It was a really small content business. I think we had maybe 40,000 followers on Twitter, but at least we had a base to start with and that we knew what our DNA was. And even today, our DNA is about data and about true market value. And that's what it was then. So we had a way to engage people, to engage consumers, even if they weren't buying or selling something, right? We had sneaker portfolios on day one where people could track the value of their sneaker collection. And that was a super intentional strategy to do that because you have this chicken and egg problem where I can't ensure that on day one, a buyer is going to come here and there's going to be something that he wants to be able to buy. And so that was a big part of it. The second, and this is sort of a little bit of just, you know, call it luck, is we were fortunate to be going into an industry that was massively fragmented and that has a very clear supply benefit, which is the supply in the resale sneaker market, the sellers 
are all some version of a small business and there weren't a lot of great options. So they were always looking for every way they could sell things. So we always thought that our goal was around going after demand, was in bringing buyers to the table. And that if we brought buyers to the table, given the baseline of us being the price guide for the industry, that the sellers would come. And that's exactly what happened. Got it. Yeah, I would completely agree with that as a consumer myself when you talk about fragmentation, right? I think before StockX came to the forefront, I was buying shoes off Reddit. I mean, some people were even buying shoes off Craigslist. And I think that's a pretty miserable customer experience. Yeah. Uh, so as I think about luxury marketplaces, though, I think one thing that a lot of businesses in this space struggle with is verification at scale, right? How do you make sure that all of your suppliers are good actors? I mean, how exactly does StockX solve that problem? Yeah, we haven't. All of our suppliers <laughs> are not good actors. and But that is the reason why we sit in the middle of the transaction, right? So every single product on StockX is authenticated. Sneakers, streetwear, watches, handbags. But we step into the transaction after the sale happens. So on StockX, it's anonymous. Buyers and sellers do not see each other. You're, you're transacting across a price. And, um, and after that sale happens, the seller sends that product to us. And we have four authentication centers. One in Detroit, which is where our headquarters is, one in Tempe, Arizona, one outside of New York City, and one in London. And we authenticate the product. We also make sure that it's the right size, the right condition. It is what it's supposed to be. And there's a tremendous amount of value of being in the middle of that because if I am authenticated, if StockX is authenticating it, then you as a buyer no longer have to worry about who the seller is, right? If you're buying something on eBay, you know, you go through and you want to buy from this guy or that guy. How many views this person have? How many sales this person have? Why is there a cat in the picture? Like all the like the nonsense <laughs> that happens right on eBay. But like if you buy a share of Nike stock from the New York Stock Exchange, there's not thousands of people saying buy my Nike stock, buy my Nike stock, right? Pictures of it next to animals. No, like you go to the stock exchange, the Nike's trading at $72 a share and you can buy it immediately, right? There's one price for it. And when you buy it, by the way, there's an actual seller on the other end of that specific sale selling you that specific share of Nike, but you don't know who that is and you don't care, right? It clears the New York Stock Exchange, you know it's legit, you're good. And that's what it's about for us, right? By us sitting in the middle of that, we make it so all the buyer has to worry about is, is this how much I want to pay for this product? Yes or no. And they don't have to worry about if it's real and everything else. And so we sit in the middle and by the way, and, and I didn't realize this when we started, customer service is one of our largest teams. At, at this point, we have, I think, over 75 people in, in customer service, but that's okay, right? That's part of the value that we offer to that, to both the buyers and sellers, is that buyers and sellers no longer ever have to interact with each other. And that's actually a good thing. That's great. And then as you think about growing the business and how rapidly it's growing now, what are some of the key KPIs or metrics that you're tracking beyond standard revenue growth and, and profitability? When we started the business, the two main metrics for me on a daily basis were number of trades, number of transactions, and then cancellation rate. So how many trades were being canceled or weren't able to fulfill, right? Because you do all this work to get buyer and seller to come and agree on something. And then if that trade falls down for some reason, if it's fake, if the seller doesn't ship, that's a pretty bad place to lose it. And so those were the, in the beginning, the two biggest metrics. You know, those are, by the way, those are still the two most important metrics. But this year, one of the really big metrics for us is time to delivery. You know, we have this unique model and we think that it's better for certain products. And I think the numbers prove it, that it is better for certain products. But we have this process where there's two shippings. The seller sends it to us and then we send it to the buyer. And so it takes on average about seven to nine days 
for a buyer to get a pair of shoes or any product from StockX. And the fact that we built a company that's got over a billion dollar run rate on seven to nine day shipping in the Amazon ing of the world where everyone expects the products tomorrow is honestly a little bit amazing. But for us to continue to grow and go after that next customer, that retail customer, that person that bought their last pair of shoes on Foot Locker or Nike.com, right? We know that we have to get better at shipping time and getting products to people quicker. And so for us, that's a really, really big metric this year as we can drive that down. By the way, I, I didn't mention the authentication time or everything. We've always been able to get everything that comes in the morning out that day. So when you look at the overall time for someone to get a product, Everything that comes in for us in the morning goes out that evening, and it can't get any faster than that. Like it comes in on the 7 a.m. UPS truck, it goes out on the 7 p.m. And so we just have to always maintain that. But for us, it's like all the other things that we can do to drive that shipping time down. And as I put myself back in the consumer seat, I think the only product that I would order online and have forgiveness for having a later shipping date is a luxury product. Yep. So I can see how being so attached to a new pair of sneakers, I'd be okay waiting a week versus waiting two days. So that makes a lot of sense, but I'm excited to see the levers you guys eventually pull to get that shipping time down. And more broadly speaking, as I think about marketplaces, one of the benefits of building a marketplace is this wealth of data that you get to collect on both the supply side and the demand side. Uh, what are some examples of insights that you have derived from your data in order to provide a better customer experience? Yeah, there's five big buckets of data that sort of get generated at StockX. There's actual sales that happen. There are live bids and live asks. So a live bid, this is someone actively trying to buy a product, and, and those live bids are tied to someone's PayPal or their credit card. And then there's live asks, which is someone actively trying to sell it. And then there's a portfolio function, which is basically what does somebody own? What do they have in their collection? And then we have a corollary function of portfolio, which is called follow, which is basically, these are the shoes I'm interested in. And both a portfolio and follow sort of give you the same view. It sort of gives you this, you know, very analytic view of the total value and the value of each shoe and how it changes, et cetera. And so you have these five buckets and what they really are, they're all just different points within the sales progression. Portfolio is sort of like, passively selling. I have this, I might want to sell it, but I'm not actively selling it, right? Follow is, is passively buying. I'm interested in these, but I don't have a bid. Bid and ask are active buying and selling, and then you have the actual sale. And so it's interesting, we have this big progression as opposed to a traditional e-commerce model where there's just a buy button and you can just track sales. And so it's all the things in trying to really dive deep in all of that other parts within that progression that allows us to understand the customer better and, and what products sell, understanding what products sell quickly, what products are negotiated on, et cetera. But the one thing that I want to call out and sort of the holy grail of all that data, I think is bids. And a bid is true consumer demand. And it may actually be the purest form of consumer demand anywhere in the e-commerce world, because this is a bid that is tied to someone's PayPal or their credit card. Like that is someone saying, I'm willing to pay $200 for this product right there. And anyone in the world can come and sell that person, that product for $200, right? That's how the stock market works, where you're, you're placing a buy order for Nike stock at 71. And if it ever hits 71, the trade gets executed automatically. And that's a, like a, just a phenomenal thing for us to understand internally and also externally as we figure out who to work with. Understanding true consumer demand, like that may be the holy grail of all of it. And given you've grown so quickly, what are some consistent best practices that you've applied to hiring rapidly without sacrificing on the quality of job candidates? Yeah, I mean, we've hired 550 of them over the last year. 
it's crazy to be in that scenario, particularly because we're still in hyper growth and hyper hiring mode. And I still feel like majority of our bottlenecks today are people related. But, you know, I'm super fortunate at the size and scale we are. And to have our third co-founder in this, who's the StockX COO and co-runs the company on a day-to-day basis with me is a, a guy named Greg Schwartz. But I'm super fortunate to have Greg, who's basically a second CEO. And, and Greg's at the office every day running the real business. And I get to go do a lot of really extraordinary things. I do a lot of public speaking. I get to have a lot of conversations with brands about how we work with brands, our celebrity investors. But the one thing, the one part of the day-to-day business that I'm still 100% cued in on is hiring. It's the only part of the day-to-day business that I'm a part of. And we've hired majority of our senior leadership team. And then you have to trust them that they understand what the hiring process looks like so that they can build the same things as well. But it couldn't be a more important part of the business. And Josh, we've got time here for one final question, which is admittedly for my own personal enjoyment. But what is your favorite pair of sneakers? You know, it's always a hard question. I feel like since we're a data company, I have to answer that with data. You know, the shoe that I have the most of is a shoe called the Air Jordan 1 Lance Mountain White. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So I have seven pairs and you know, it's taken all my restraint not to like buy seven more. But I mean, it's a Jordan 1, you know, just classic. So you wear with everything, but you know, it's subtle. It's also sort of like easy to wear, but also people that know, know. And that extra like layer of paint that chips off creates like a really great, particularly like walking around the streets in New York or London. And I have seven pairs. They're all in different stages of being worn. I think two are still brand new in the box. One is like worn once. Three are like completely beat. But so, but you got to use data. Seven pairs. <laughs> That's great. A pair for every day of the week. But Josh, this has been fantastic. I want to say thank you for the time here and then hope to speak soon. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. You have a good one. Once again, a big thank you to Josh for joining us today. If you're not already a sneakerhead, then I would encourage you to stop by StockX and pick up a pair of Balenciagas. In the meantime, if you enjoy the show, I'd love if you gave a quick rating and review as well as send any feedback or guest recommendations my way. You can reach me on Twitter at John Heezy, that's J-O-H-N-H-E-E-Z-Y, or on Instagram at John G. Hu, that's J-O-H-N-G-H-U. So thank you all for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.